Welcome to episode number 10 of Colorado TechCast. I really emphasize networking. It's kind of a dirty word for a lot of computer science people like myself who don't see that as a positive thing or just equate networking as standing around awkwardly at a party holding a beer in your hand. What I've done is try to help people understand that that doesn't have to be like that. You can network in any way you want to. Today I'm speaking with Miles Mathias. CTO of InKind Capital, Boulder's Startup Week organizer, and co-host of the StartupCTO.io podcast. Miles talks about the mission of InKind Capital, the importance of choosing the appropriate communication channel, how a random visit to a Boulder coffee shop led to an introduction to the Techstars network, resulting in multiple interviews and job offers, and the give-first mentality Boulder is so well known for. Miles also shares his thoughts on technology leadership and the importance of giving back in whatever ways you're comfortable. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background, where you came from, how you got started, and what you're doing, things like that. Sure. So my name is Miles Mathias, and I am the CTO and co-founder of InKind.com. My background, I grew up uh, all over the country. My dad was in the Army, so we moved every couple of years. Then, uh, yeah, ended up, I was out in D.C. for the beginning of high school, and my dad retired from active duty Army, and for the first time in 20 years, got to pick where they wanted to live, and decided to move us to Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. <laughs> and... Uh, he did that because my parents were originally from Northeast Iowa, so they wanted to be closer there. But I had never really lived in that area, so I was kind of a big jump from D.C. for me. But um, it all worked out all right. I met my uh, now wife, went to college there, got a couple of degrees there on a scholarship there. So uh, got my degrees, got married, and we uh, said, where do we, we want to live now? <laughs> and uh, luckily, my wife grew up moving all over the country, too, and um, just happened to be in Omaha the same time I was. So and kind of uh, was picking between San Francisco and Boulder kind of for the startup tech life kind of thing we were looking for. And Boulder just really sold us on the the lifestyle, the emphasis on being outside, the emphasis on uh, outdoors, kind of enjoying the Colorado lifestyle and weather here over the uh, crazy madness of, of either of the coasts where you just have so much population. Yeah. Yeah, I've, like I said, I, I grew up doing the big population thing and started my life, so we were happy to be in a place that I think kind of checked all of our boxes while, uh, you know, not being overly crazy a place to live. When did you move here? Uh, 2011? 2000, yeah, 2011. Um, so it's been, yeah, about six years, seven years. Yeah, it's been awesome got involved in the startup scene pretty early on as soon as I got here, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. 2011 was a really good year. I mean, I think that's when things started to, to kick off again. Yeah. Back in the 2000s, it was, there was a lot of really cool stuff going on here. I think a lot of it was a little premature, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think 2011, 2012 is when things started really heating up in Colorado again for uh, you know technology and, and uh, startups in general. For sure. Yeah, I, uh, I came here straight out of college and worked for Actually, I, I, I was working for a company in Omaha. I've, uh, so kind of my background before I want to do the small company startup thing is I 
worked for the government uh, at Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a, a summer before I graduated to get more of that kind of line of thing. So I, my degrees are in computer science and information assurance, which is computer security. So I thought that I wanted to get into security for the first kind of half of my career. So I did a lot of stuff for the government and hacking and nation state type stuff, uh, which is pretty fun, cool stories about that. But um, then worked for a defense contractor, Lockheed Martin, and uh, it's just not very fun working for the government. Um, a lot of not-so-fun stuff there, but um, I also didn't want to do security much anymore. So security, security kind of, uh, in my opinion, what I got to see was a lot of people kind of telling you what not to do um, and kind of just kind of bashing on how other people do things instead of trying to help teach people the correct way to do things. Um, so I kind of decided that I wanted to build things myself uh, instead. So I started leaning on my computer science degree and working for you know, small shops here in Boulder to build custom web and mobile applications for companies of all sizes, which was really, really fun and helped me kind of get into uh, build connections and, and network here to be able to help out with the startup scene in general. Nice. So now you're the CTO and co-founder of InKind. Mm-hmm. So what is InKind Capital and what do you guys do? So uh, we are a restaurant experience and financing company. So you can think of us kind of like Square, where we have a product that everyone kind of mainly knows us for, and then we also have an arm of financing for growing businesses, growing restaurants. Our product is basically geared towards customer experience. So it allows restaurant owners to provide an awesome experience to their best customers with our mobile app and technology, uh, and that helps them, you know, become better connected to those best customers, help those customers spend more money, be there longer, um, and then also um, you know get, get new customers for the restaurant too. And then when they're growing and need capital, uh, we can do that too. So InKind started out as another company, right, out in D.C.? Yeah, we originally launched the company as Equity Eats. So kind of the background of the company, um, so my co-founder um, invested in 20 different restaurants across the country and kind of saw how financing in that world is really tricky. Um, a lot of times it's people starting restaurants that don't know how to structure equity investments, how to analyze different loan options. And then a lot of times because they are risky businesses that aren't necessarily always long lasting or generating a lot of cash, they can get charged, get in some pretty bad deals. So it's something that we just wanted to help them with, uh, help improve. We also thought that, you know, the and still think that the community and the customers are probably one of the high the most important assets to the restaurant and Anything they can do to leverage that and improve that will really help them help them in general. So yeah, we started the company as a an accredited only investment platform for restaurants. So people starting restaurants. So we would start brand new restaurants, find them the investors, do all the equity deals, do all the terms for them so that they could focus on what they did best, uh, creating great restaurant concepts and foods, and we would make sure to facilitate all the, the transactions and all the you know the legal paperwork and making sure the terms were fair to both parties and things like that. Yeah, we did that out in D.C. And then we said, well, you know, because the community and customer are important, we'd love to get non-accredited people involved too. So this is before the Jobs Act came out and before any states started doing this. We actually lobbied the Washington, D.C. government to start allowing us to allow 
non-accredited investors to own equity. And uh, we worked on that quite a while, and they said yes. And so uh, we had we then started allowing non-accredited people to invest in these restaurant concepts too, um, which was pretty cool. And so we did that for several restaurants, and we actually did it for a restaurant that we still own and operate to this day, which is pretty fun because we we really wanted to um, put our you know have firsthand experience really uh, is what it comes down to about running a restaurant and how it all works. Um, the other thing is that it's uh, it's called prequel. So the concept is we own and operate it. We have a consistent bar program with wine, cocktails, beer, um, and then the kitchen actually changes every three to six months. So uh, it was part of kind of our way to showcase the restaurants that you could invest in. So you could come in and try out someone's food and they'd be like, yeah, this is uh, this person has been the chef at blah, blah, blah for the past 20 years and now they're opening up their own place. And uh, if you liked the food, you can invest and own equity in the restaurant. Um, so yeah, it still operates today and we still switch out people every three to six months. Uh, we don't do equity anymore. So one of the things we learned as owning the restaurant ourselves is that, you know, equity uh, makes people feel like they're a part of it, which is good. There are a lot of other concerns of people actually owning equity when it comes to things like voting rights, taxes, all that kind of stuff that are, can be a headache. But most importantly, when you're dealing with cash dividends, cash is just really hard to generate for a restaurant. So what we do is, um, you know, allow uh, customers to still be a part of the community, but instead of getting paid in cash or owning any equity, they actually get paid in credit to the restaurant. So think kind of gift cards, right? Um, except just larger amounts. So, so yeah, uh, that's kind of a transition of where we are now. So our restaurant experience app identifies our best customers by having them purchase house accounts. So they have a house account at uh, one of our restaurants, and they purchase it for some money up front. In exchange, they get a bunch of money, uh, a bunch of credit. So, for example, you know, like $500 will give you $700 in credit. It's a place that you go multiple times a month. You go all the time. You really love it. You're going to spend that money anyway. So you, you know, load your house account and come in with our app, and you have a great experience uh, at our restaurants across the country. So as the CTO, what does your scope actually encompass? I know that as a smaller organization, you've got to ha have your hands in all sorts of pots, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, we've taken a kind of a unique approach to the company and the fact that we've kind of taken kind of what we think is the best of both worlds in terms of how we've structured our company and financed it and grown it in terms of bootstrapping versus venture capital. So we've purposely kept our team really small and kind of and turned turned away investment money when we didn't think it was the right time to grow. And so we focused on really just creating a profitable business and making a, a great business rather than just something that was investable that we could, you know, pour a bunch of investment money into and grow like crazy and then, it, you know, go out of business in three years. So uh, we've kept our team really small and on purpose. Uh, I think the next year or two will be kind of our big breakout year where we'll kind of grow like crazy because we've spent the last three years really perfecting what our business is and, and making, like I said, a really great business first and foremost um, that, you know, has product market fit. So because we're still so small, you know, my, my uh, roles are, you know, fast, like you said. So I, I do a fair bit of coding myself. I work with companies that we hire to do things for us, 
designers, developers, things like that to uh, to get us where we need to go without having the additional burden of employees right now. And then um, I also do, you know, co-founder level things like talking to investors, going to board meetings, doing kind of all those things where we're looking at our strategic future and everything like that too. What's been a monumental challenge that you've had to that you've come up against and, and had to overcome in the, the short while that you guys have been in operation? I'd say, I mean, one of the interesting challenges that we had to overcome and keep working on when we were doing equity crowdfunding was, you know, navigating all of the financial regulations and how you could and couldn't accept payments. So we couldn't use credit cards um, when we were doing, you know, equity crowdfunding. And so, you know, we had to do a lot of ACH uh, uh, transactions. And because we were doing Things with equity, there were several platforms that wouldn't allow us to do it. For instance, Stripe, uh, at the time, they didn't even have ACH support. Then they did, and then they said, oh, if you're doing anything with equity, you can't do it through us, you know, and uh, they may have changed that since then. But that was a long process of talking to a lot of vendors, t- looking at a lot of integrations, and uh, ultimately deciding what to go with that I think that went really well and fit our needs. And, and yeah, but that uh, that wasn't so much a technical integration challenge because once we found the right solution, it was fine to integrate with. But um, dealing with a lot of regulations can be a painful, painful experience for sure. I, I know that PayPal went through a lot of similar painful exercises when they were trying to launch right back in ninety nine two thousands because because exactly that the there's so many financial regulations out there and the banks really have a stranglehold yeah. on what what you can and can't do a little bit ago you mentioned the Jobs Act can you talk a little bit about that what that is sure so uh, Jobs Act uh, also known as the Title Three uh, it allows nationwide equity investment from non accredited investors there are rules about how much you can invest and. Uh, yeah, I mean, mainly about how much you can invest. Yeah, basically just allows non-accredited investors to actually own equity in private companies uh, across the nation. Before, uh, there were a dozen or so states that allowed you to do it. You had to register in individual states. That was another one of our regulatory challenges. So we were registered in D.C., Texas, Colorado, and so then we could work with different companies in those states, but um, then it went nationwide, we could do it, do it nationwide. But yeah, the, so it passed, uh, it got, went into effect, I think about a year, year and a half ago. A lot of people expected it to just be this game-changing, crazy thing, and um, so far it's kind of been overhyped, uh, I'd say. The challenges are, you know, negative selection, so people that are, companies that are using equity card funding may not be the best if they are picking that route because they can't get, you know, other forms of funding. Um, so that's kind of one one challenge is picking out the correct, having good companies using it. Um, and then another challenge is when you just have a company setting terms the unsophisticated investor can really not know what to pay attention to or how to separate a good deal from a bad deal. And so there are have been a few platforms now that are starting to uh, change that where they, the terms will actually be set by an institutional investor or an experienced seed investor, uh, accredited seed investor, and then 
you know, um, non-accredited will follow that deal essentially. Um, so there, there are several challenges with it. People are still getting ironed out. It ultimately comes to consumer appetite if people want to own equity in a private business where that is really young and has a majority likelihood that it's going to fail uh, and their investment will not be worth anything. Yeah, we're pretty early on in seeing how that will handle out. Uh, we, as our company, though, are focused entirely on restaurants, and for restaurants, it's uh, it's just not not a good thing to to do. You know, there are restaurants have large dollar amounts from equity uh, accredited investors doing large dollar amounts, uh, large dollar amounts that you probably wouldn't be able to get from um, equity crowdfunding but also those are strategic partners that can help them, um, usually help them with connections or experience or things like that. And then uh, traditional bank loans uh, is how they kind of do that. But, um, you know, we help them by uh, connecting with their customers, not in a crowdfunding way, but um, in kind of a the experience way uh, so that they can grow their business uh, and revenue through their customers. Mm-hmm. But in terms of equity, uh, equity just is not not great for a restaurant to be able to manage all of the regulatory overheads and uh, the, you know, like I said earlier, the cash dividends for all of those different investors are just not worth it for any anyone. Expectations are another struggle with the Jobs Act. So telling people, hey, you might not get this money back at all, but if you do, it's going to be five to ten years at least. Um, experience, sophisticated investors understand that, but. Um, you know, unsophisticated, non-accredited investors can really can have their expectations uh, in the wrong wrong direction. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a high-value gift card, you know, if you if you put in five hundred bucks and you get seven hundred dollars back in restaurant credit, probably makes more mm-hmm. sense to you know to non-accredited investors, like you were saying, right? Yeah, I mean, so we don't look at it as crowdfunding our investment, but that is kind of the evolution of our company and how we came on it. Now, you know, we we still sell those. Um, not really to actually finance the restaurant. The restaurants we work with um, don't always need capital. Um, they mainly do that so that they can identify their best customers. So the best customers that are going there all the time totally feel comfortable you know, loading a house account with several hundred dollars because they know they're going to use it eventually anyway because it's one of their favorite restaurants. You know, So, so that's kind of why we mainly do those house accounts mm-hmm. is to identify the best customers and then then there are some clients of ours that, you know, are growing, are expanding, and they won't need capital to keep going, and, and that's where we can come in, too, to help them with the capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. And finance them, yeah. So what do you think the future of, of in-kind capital looks like in the next, you know, five to seven years? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, one of our goals is to expand, you know, our experience application to tons and tons of restaurants all over the U.S., um, and internationally as well. We have a few restaurants actually in Australia now that's pretty exciting. Uh, we have a partner down there that we've done some stuff with, which is really exciting and fun. And then um, I think, you know, I, I'm really excited to, to see, you know, the experience things that we do. So uh, I haven't mentioned much about what they do, but so for instance, if you when you have a house account in one of our restaurants, you know, your favorite restaurant, uh, one of the cool things that we allow people to do, uh, we're are going working on or going to allow is that you come in and you can you can kind of get a, a really great VIP experience. So one of the things you can do is connect your Uber account so that when you get in an Uber that's headed towards your restaurant, will let the owner know that you're on your way. 
that you you will be there in 12 minutes and your favorite drink is a Manhattan and uh, and you're one of the best customers and so you'll show up and they'll be like oh hey uh-huh. uh, hi uh, Miles you know I uh, thought we'd bring you a Manhattan great to see you blah blah, blah. and um, and then through our app you can leave private feedback to the owner you can settle your bill leave gratuity um, and then uh, we're working on some really cool stuff where um, kind of one of the challenges now for restaurants is they don't really know when their best customers come in the door. You can try if they have a reservation or you can somewhat try with identifying the same credit card through your point of sale system. But really, in order to provide a good experience, we allow restaurant owners to know when their customers show up immediately. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you want to know that, you know, the customer that comes in six times a month and spends an average of 200 bucks just walked in the door immediately, you know, uh, and, that, and that's what we allow customers that are, you know, really big fans of their favorite restaurants that go there all the time to get a better experience and the owner to interact with those people, provide them with a better experience so that um, they can just form a better connection, get their private feedback, uh, and hopefully keep them from co- keep them coming back after time after time after time and uh, telling all their friends about it to keep growing their customer base as well. Mm-hmm. So you're really putting control of, of the customer experience in the hands of the restaurateur before the customer's even in the door, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's really what we focus on our, our company on is the experience that, you know, the really good customers, the customers that go there all the time, it's people that love the restaurant, they should have a great experience. Um, it's in their best interest, it's in the restaurant's best interest, and and really that's kind of a technology lacking from the restaurant space. And when you go to restaurants that are doing things really well, it's it's uh, they always have will have a solid food and drink program product, but the ones that uh, keep people coming back time after time have exceptional service, and and that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, this is Colorado, so if you've ever been to um, Frasca Food and Wine in, in Boulder, you know, every single year on Eater, they get, you know, best uh, hospitality in the country. Um, Bobby Stuckey is the owner there, and uh, he is he's incredible. Um, every time I've gone, you walk in the door, and he's standing right there greeting you. Hey, how's it going? How's it been? You know, and mm-hmm. remembers what you've ordered previously, and will uh, just make sure you have a great time. Um, and that's that's the kind of service level that you can do at really upper scale places where that's part of their product, but you should be able to do that level of interaction and experience at all levels of restaurants, sizes, um, you know, tastes, uh, whatever you're going for, you should be able to do that. And, and that's one of the main ways to keep people excited about your place and keep them coming back and referring their friends. So you're really bringing that cultivated experience of, you know, we know you. We know what you drink. Uh, we know how. We know your mm-hmm. customer lifetime value to us, right? You're bringing all mm-hmm. those stats to a restaurateur, irregardless of their size, right? You're just really empowering them to yeah. use insights and analytics to better service their customer base. Yeah, exactly, and and helping them do things that technology can only help them do. You know, like with uh, you know recognizing someone just walked in the door, or recognizing someone is, like I said, you know, 15 minutes away, and we can see exactly where they are in traffic and things like that um, to help them really provide a better experience that they just can't do otherwise. So let's shift topics a little bit and talk about you personally and a little bit about your involvement in yeah. Boulder Startup Week. 
So you said you moved here in 2011. How did you first get engaged in the Boulder ecosystem? Um, so my story, you know, I really emphasize networking. It's kind of a dirty word for a lot of computer science people like myself who don't see that as a positive thing or just equate networking as standing around awkwardly at a party holding a beer in your hand. And I think I've tried to everyone I've talked to and shown and what I've done is try to help people understand that that doesn't have to be like that. You can network in any way you want to. So for instance, you know, one of the things that I did before I moved to Boulder was was used Twitter actually to look at events that were going on and people that were involved in things and ask people for ask people that lived in Boulder for things like their favorite restaurants or their favorite thing to do or why they like their living there versus other places and people love talking about the things they love and they love Boulder and they love going to these places and so it's really easy over Twitter to just talk to a few people and that led to actually one person offering to give me a tour around Boulder when I came to visit. Um, so I set up a couple of days where I went to Boulder and I set up a couple of interviews ahead of time with companies and then I, she offered over Twitter, never met her before, uh, to walk me around downtown Boulder and say, here's this place, here's that place, here's this place. And so I said, yeah, great. And uh, so I went to a coffee shop, Atlas Purveyors, which isn't there anymore. I think it's now a skate shop on Pearl, but um, got there a little early to meet her. And then I saw a guy with a laptop that had a Techstar sticker on it. And I just went over to him and said, hey, uh, are you doing anything with Techstars? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm actually one of their Techstars hack stars this year for the program. So I don't think you're familiar with it, but the program has a handful of programmers that uh, they call them hack stars, but basically they're just kind of floaters. So if a team needs a website built, an integration done, or whatever they need, uh, you know, these hack stars kind of just roam around the different teams helping them just make do some tech stuff. So anyway, this is one of them. I said, oh, well, you know, I'm in town. I've you know, got uh, a couple of computer science uh, degrees and uh, just looking to you know, interview with some startups. And he's like, oh, well, give me your card and uh, forward me your resume. I'll forward it to all of the tech star oh, nice. teams. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was in town for three days. a good person days. to bump into, right? Right, yeah, I, I'm still friends with him to this day. He he uh, doesn't live in Boulder anymore, but still friends with him. And and uh, he uh, he forwarded to, and I ended up in the three days I was here having I think sixteen uh-huh. interviews. Um, just you know, I I had lined up three or four ahead of time, but then uh, just kind of opened myself up to meeting people and um, and just trying to be friendly, just trying to be uh, nice, but not you know overly begging of people's time or anything like that, you know, um, but just um, opening myself to anyone that was interested to help, and luckily he was, and, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, so I met a ton of people, many of those people I met, uh, interviewed with, um, they were kind of too early to be hiring a ton of people, and so it didn't work out then uh, to join any of the Techstars teams, but um, a lot of them became Mm-hmm. friends to this day um, that I still talk to and meet and hang out with all the time. Um, so, so that was really cool. And then, um, yeah, and so then my second job in Boulder, uh, just talking with friends about what uh, friends that were also in the community about 
how things were going, and I liked this job or didn't like this job for these and that reason. They're like, oh, you should meet so-and-so. I was like, oh, okay. And I go meet so-and-so, and then they're like, oh, hey, you want a job? We should, you should work here. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> and then working there. Um, and then joining in kind is kind of similar, too. So I I uh, lined up, you know, some of my own jobs, uh, interviews through the traditional means of applications and recruiters and things like that but uh, also kind of put the word out to a few of my friends that I was looking for kind of my next thing to do. They put the word out to their friends, passed along my information, and uh, got a phone call from this crazy restaurant investor guy in D.C. that he wanted me to start a company with them. And, and uh, timing kind of worked out that I was open to, you know, starting something brand new, um, just the point in my life where I could take a risk like that. And so I was like, Let's go for it. Let's do it. And three years later, we're profit. We're a you know a company that's up and running, going well, and uh, yeah, taken get a chunk of investment and done a lot of deals. So we're yeah, things are going well. So um, and and I guess sorry, I I ran it for a little bit about networking, but taking it back to your question, one of the th- ways that I also met a lot of people was just wanting to give to the community anything that I could. And so getting a, getting involved in Boulder Startup Week was really one of those ways that I was just like, how can I help? You know, uh, I can set up events, I can do whatever, I can email people, I can, you know, do anything I can to help the community, even though I'm, you know, not, at, at the time when I started, I wasn't a company founder at, hadn't gone through tech stars or any of those things but i just wanted to help and uh they were like yeah great come on come on help and uh you know did those things for people and um you know kind of got their ear when um i needed something or when they needed something you know and uh they feel free to email or call me when they need introductions or things advice or whatever and i'm happy to do that and and Mm -hmm. they do the same for me so it's um that's kind of one of the ways I've told people too is to meet people by just getting involved and helping, you know, volunteering your time in any way you can or whatever skill it is. Um, developers specifically, you know, I've, I've met some people and a guy uh, just doing some uh, open source work on GitHub. There was a public project, uh, Meteor.js, in the early days. I was kind of bored playing around with it and contributed a few documentation things and a couple of bug fixes and things like that to their project. And they, you know, sent me a bunch of swag and introduced me to a bunch of people that were around me and things like that. And that didn't involve going to some events that didn't involve putting myself out there, begging anyone for introductions or something like that. It was, it was just, I wanted to help and good things came out of it, you know? So, so I think that's kind of, that's kind of in line with the motto that Brad Feld and the people in the community have put of give first, you know, don't, you know, the best way to get help for what you need is to actually help others first and to just get involved and help other people because that goodwill is always going to come back around. Yeah. Boulder really does have that give first mentality. I'd emailed Brad Feld uh, several years ago and he, you know, he said, this is where I'm at. You know, I'd really like to get involved in the technology community. I just don't know where to get started. Right. And uh, his one, his one sentence mm-hmm. response was, you know, to show up. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. 
So I did. And, uh, you know, I think cool things happen if you just put yourself out there and make your, you know, make it known that that you're interested in helping and and, uh, available to, you know, to pitch in where needed. People will uh, will definitely loop you in. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and I think there have been, you know, the other couple of things I've done to get uh, more experience myself, get to know more people, get more exposure to the things I'm interested in or whatever, but also to help the community. So I I lead the development track for Boulder Startup Week, and I've been doing that for the past three years now. Um, and then when I became a CTO, you know, I realized, like, uh, how do I learn to be a CTO? You know, I can build, you know, websites and mobile apps and whatever, uh, but building a team of people, being an executive of a company is a totally different role and challenge. And so how do you... How do you do that? How do you get to know people that have been there before to lean on them or to ask them things? And, and uh, there really wasn't anything at all. So uh, a buddy of mine, Kevin Owaki, and I, you know, he had kind of a similar experience when he was growing leadership at different companies that he was at, um, and now he's founded his own company. Um, and so he and I started just a monthly lunch group totally informal, nothing publicly listed, just, hey, we all know some CTOs in the community. Let's have lunch once a month just to hang out. And if we can all get to know each other on an informal basis, no recruiters, no one's selling anything, nothing like that, um, we can be a good resource to each other when we have questions or you know things coming up. And now the group's up to about 100 people. Um, that is a really a pretty active email list group, um, and um, and um, and yeah, monthly lunch that uh, about twenty twenty five people get together usually every lunch every month just to hang out, and uh, and so that's been amazing. Um, and I've really enjoyed seeing all the value that it's added to everyone in the group to just be a have that network that they can tap when they have questions or need advice or need introductions or are looking for their next gig or things like that. It's really helped everyone. And, and obviously I am as a member can get those benefits myself. So, um, and then the other thing Kevin and I did was we started a podcast. So we don't do the podcast anymore, but for the past you know year or so we did uh, startupcto.io where, um, you know, we just interviewed startup CTOs and we got to interview some awesome people. Um, then that was a really, really, really cool way to get to know people, um, locally in Colorado, but we also got to do, you know, other people in big companies. We got to interview, uh, the vice president of engineering at Slack. We got to interview the CTO at DigitalOcean. Um, we got to do some pretty big interviews, um, which was an awesome, you know, it helped them market their companies and help them grow their personal brands, but us also be able to, you know, ask these questions of things we're struggling with, with engineering leadership of someone that we really look up to. And, and, uh, so, and that has provided a lot of value to other people too. You know, they, they've mentioned on more than one occasion to Kevin and I about, Hey, I listened to all those podcasts and it's awesome to hear that this other person was really struggling with the thing I was struggling with and it really helped me at my company. Um, I mean, that's just a few examples from my life of how I've been able to try to first provide value to other people that helps them and 
by extension, you'll be helping yourself um, by getting to know more people and learning from yeah. the people I you're actually helping. actually subscribed to you guys for probably about a year now on Startup CTO. Yeah. So and cool. I, I remember the uh, the Slack interview that you guys did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I talked to Kevin yesterday. Kind of bummed that you guys aren't doing it anymore because I, I enjoyed listening to it. Well, it's a... Uh... Yeah, we really enjoy doing it too. Uh, we have both gotten really, really busy. You know, luckily, our, both of our businesses are really kind of taking off. So we've been pretty focused on growing those businesses. And the podcast has kind of dropped lower on the priority. Unfortunately, we've less, lost time for it. But it's been really awesome. And like I said, I think it's just another great example of how you can try to provide value to other people in any way that mm-hmm. makes sense for you uh, personally. And, and it'll yep. come back to help you. So how would you describe your leadership style? I guess I should say what my leadership style goal is more than anything. And that's always a work in progress. And my goal is to over communicate with people that are smarter than me to kind of achieve a goal together. So one of the things that I've noticed that developers don't do as well as other people and my role as being an executive uh, that spans across different sections of our businesses is in just focusing on communication. Communication as a thing is pretty tough when you're dealing with different types of people and different personalities. So developers are kind of infamous for, well, I sent that one email or that one Slack message, so you totally should have understood and remembered and saw that and that been the end of it, right? Like I I told you. <laughs> and and when you're working, you know, in a team of all developers talking with all developers all day, that totally works. But um, when you're talking with a lot of people on a lot of different types of personalities and types of different ways of doing business and even people within your own team. You know, I, I try to over communicate, you know, I pick up the phone and call somebody. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those old school things that you forget about because Slack or, you know, whatever the next form of communication is coming out, you know, is uh, kind of all the rage just picking up the phone and being human with someone, talking to them is really powerful. So, I mean, I talk to my business partner every single day on the phone and then, you know, periodically just randomly call members of our team multiple times a week just to see how they're doing, like what's going on or how do they feel, just to kind of keep a lot of communication lines open. I think that's one of the most important things that I, I can do as a, as a leader of the company. Do you have favorite authors or blogs that you read regularly that shape the way you operate? Um, I don't think so. I uh, peruse backer news usually, but um, what has influenced me more than anything really is the people I've worked with and the people I've talked to, the people I look up to, you know, in in just socially, professionally. A lot of people that, especially in the Boulder community, that are just really focused on kind of doing what's right by people first and foremost rather than what's right by someone else's standard. And, uh, and I think it's really been, had a big effect on me. So do you have any like favorite apps or favorite tools that you use regularly that you want to call out and share? I mean, obviously we've talked about Slack a couple of times. <laughs> I actually, uh, we don't use Slack at our company and I'm actually not a huge fan of Slack. I was, so one of the things that I am kind of always trying to uh, work on myself, but also emphasize with other people is that technology allows you to do things instantly and fast, but it doesn't always mean you should. And Slack sometimes feels like the right solution when people need to chat as a group together um, and chatting over uh, a 
you know, text chat room may work better than a loud, noisy conference call or something like that. But most of the times, a cross-country tap on the shoulder when you're busy doing stuff for something that isn't important at all is not uh, is not actually productive. <laughs> so um, I actually I like um, I think it's uh, someone. Uh, um, his name's Era Howard, uh, owner, one of the owners of Dojo Four. Who I used to work with here in Boulder. He has a signature in his email address of um, uh, saying something to the effect of, uh, "I try to put the people in front of me in my work as a priority. So uh, help me do that by not emailing me or or." or or I can't remember how he phrases it, but but realizing that I may not respond to your email instantaneously, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's just kind of something that I something that I try to ascribe to too. Is you know, it, it's okay to respond to it. Take a day to respond to an email. It's okay to not respond to it five seconds later. It's okay to not you know disable the notifications on your iPhone. <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, if someone needs you right now because something's on fire that's what a phone call is for you know uh so uh so that, that's kind of the philosophy i prescribe to and to and try to uh, help other people realize that try to focus on what's important um if like i said you know i think it's partially training people i think how to communicate or how to pick a communication channel based on the you know, severity of what they need We've kind of, I think, done a good job at our company of feeling free to, you know, if, if something you need instantaneous or you need to just talk with someone uh, just because you want to just see how they're doing, call them. And if they're busy, then they won't answer. Then that's fine. But um, a phone call is kind of for those top priority things. Um, and anything else is really, you know, it's asynchronous. It's, I need you to do this thing, but uh, you don't need to get back to me immediately. Um, and if something has, you know, you need to convey deadlines, you need to convey what's going on with that simple chat about what you've got going on in your plate and how that person can help you achieve those goals is really what's useful. So I think it's been kind of a company culture thing. And I think that's kind of the biggest problem that, and, you know, I hear people like yourself say, you know, oh, I can't, I have to check my email all the time. I have to pay attention to the notifications that happen on my phone all the time. But, um, I think it's most scary, like you said, when everyone else in the organization does things that way, you don't want to be the one person that's like, oh, ugh, that one person is so slow to answer emails. And, you know, but I think it's just an expectation thing. It's a culture thing. It's, uh, you know, it, like I've said to uh, several people, it's, it's not that responding instantly makes them feel taken care of. What makes people feel taken care of is that you set expectations and you exceed those expectations. So if the expectation is I'm going to get back to you within 24 hours, fine. You get back to them within 24 hours, they're happy. If you take two days to get back to them, then that's a problem. You missed your expectation, and and that's that's an issue, right? And like likewise, you know, you should set an expectation with whoever you're communicating with. If that they have the expectation that when they email you, it's not an immediate thing. If they need something immediately done because something's on fire or something is just really really needs their attention right away, which there are few scenarios where there that's the actual case then call me you know that's a phone call that's a hey stuff's on fire i really really need your help right now um that's what that's for but so i think i think it's it's hard for an individual and a group of people to try to convert the whole company that way but i think trying to set expectations with people you communicate with regularly is a good first step and then just 
encouraging other people to keep setting expectations in the company um, that this is this is kind of the orders of communications. Um, you know, one of the things that um, had to you know walk through with some people on our team was when we have customer support issues. You know, we had some younger people on our team that, well, we got a customer support issue. We have to immediately do it, and three seconds later, and I said, well, hang on, what's help them understand what the expectation is. So we set up an autoresponder, and the autoresponder says, hey, we got your email, we're on top of this, we are going to respond to it, and we will respond within 24 hours. You know, set the expectation up front, they immediately get a response that we saw their, we received their thing, we got it, we heard, we hear them, we will respond in 24 hours, and then we can get to it within 24 hours. You know, we don't need to drop everything because someone needs their password reset, you know? That's uh, that's no way to live as a person that you can go insane pretty quickly doing doing work like that. But uh, it's also just not productive to the company because when you look at the things that actually impact the company, it's the mm-hmm. it's the you know uninterrupted periods of time where people can really think about what's going to actually help our company grow, what's actually going to grow our revenue, what's actually going to help us level up, not handling those little little busy work tasks, um, 24, 24 hours a day. Um, those, those aren't really what help you get to the next level. So managing your communication channels and, and setting expectations of, you know, this is mm-hmm. the priority of, if you need to reach me, you know, go through these steps, depending on the mm-hmm. severity, mm-hmm. acknowledging that you've received the person's request and, and that you'll get back to them within the, or their mm-hmm. appropriate time frame. Yeah. And providing updates, you know, I think, you know, we, we have, our employees kind of around the country. Uh, we have kind of a headquarters now and actually in Austin, Texas that we go to periodically. But, um, you know, we, we still travel a lot each individually. One of us do, especially these last three weeks over the holidays, we've had people on almost every continent, um, <laughs> just traveling and, uh, and it's hard to, it's easy to just lob something over the fence and then not hear anything back about how that's going. Is it on track to meet the deadline that you said it would be done on? And so just periodic phone calls to check in with each other to hear those status updates and to realize that it's a person on the other end of the line is uh, is just really, really helpful. That's something I've seen experienced executives do is just randomly pick up the phone and literally talk to someone. Uh, it, it helps a lot, and that's something we've done at our company quite a bit too. It's just random phone calls just to check in, see how you're doing and talk to you and, and be human for five seconds in, in what is usually a modern work day of just sitting at your computer <laughs> clicking buttons. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think those are definitely good tips. Definitely things that, you know, as we continue to be more and more, you know, online more and more having that human connection, picking up the mm-hmm. phone, talking to somebody really, really changes things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Miles, is there anything else that uh, you want to talk about that we haven't already discussed? Um, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, yeah, I think we hit all the main points. You know, I mean, I, my experience is being in the community is helping other people, providing value in whatever way you are personally comfortable with. If that's a GitHub open source project because, you know, you're most comfortable programming something at home by yourself, like, that's totally fine or you're more outgoing and want to be the stereotypical, you know, go to a party, uh, you know, network type of thing, then, then fine. But put yourself out there to help other people and good things will happen for you. 
um, is definitely a, a big part of everything that I've learned and everything that I've done so far. And then uh, I think, yeah, you summed it up well by trying to be human in this world of technology. You know, pick up the phone and talk to people. Uh, that goes a long, long, long way in terms of everything you're trying to do. So if people want to find out more about InKind Capital, where can they go? Yeah, our website is just inkind.com. And um, uh, my email address is just miles at inkind.com if you have any questions or want to chat more about uh, Bullish Startup Week or uh, CTOs. Uh, we, uh, I'm starting a CTO monthly lunch down in Austin, Texas, too. So if anyone... Uh, you know, is frequent of Boulder or Austin and wants to get to know a bunch of startup CTOs uh, or is a startup CTO yourself, get in touch and uh, we'll hook you up. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Colorado TechCast. You can find more great episodes on our website at coloradotechcast.com. There you'll find show notes with things we talk about in this episode as well as all other episodes. I'm currently building out the guest list for first quarter of 2018. So if you're a startup CEO, a co-founder, a CTO, or really anybody doing anything interesting with tech at all in the state, hit me up. My email address is trapper at coloradotechcast.com. You can also get us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at cotechcast. Thanks for listening to the show and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to somebody else. Take care.